We pick it up this evening in verse 18. Read along with me if you would, please. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Will you go to the Lord with me in prayer, please? Lord, I just pray tonight that You would speak to us in this really heavy text. Lord, that You would minister in a way that we could understand. That this would be so much more, Lord, than just information that we gather, but that You would change our lives. Lord, we call ourselves Christians, and as Christians, we confess ourselves to be like You, Christ-like. And we recognize that that's a much higher calling, Lord, than just simply saying we belong to a club that's not going to hell. And so tonight, Lord, I pray by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would minister, that You would speak profoundly, Lord, that we would be able to hear Your voice, that we would be able to know Your voice, and that tonight, Lord, You would minister to our very beings, And in ministering to our beings, Lord, that You would do something so beautiful, so rich, so real, that all the only credit we can give is to You. Lord, as You show us this downward decline of man, as You show us, Lord, Your wrath revealed, Lord, I pray tonight that You would truly, truly minister. 
And Lord, that make this come alive, burst open and come alive for us. So this would be, Lord, just something that, that penetrates us, that we can inculcate it into our lives. And in that, Lord, that you would do your work. So Lord, in this time now, I just pray, Lord, for every one of us that you would speak to us individually right where we need to hear. Lord, transcend every culture barrier, every language barrier so that we can hear You tonight. Redeem every second, Lord, I pray. Have Your Word. Have Your way. As we commit ourselves to You, Jesus, in Your name. Amen. I would say tonight, as I would any night, don't just believe me, don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the, let the, the Bible have the final say. Be that student. It starts with this. Now God had just, Paul had just said, that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who would believe, for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. For in that gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And now he starts to show us that the wrath of God is being revealed. After showing us the just shall live by faith. A verse quoted from Habakkuk in four different places. Habakkuk the first interesting the other three times then that's here then in Galatians and in Hebrews he actually breaks up all three things so you know how to better understand for instance the just that's what he explains in the book of Romans what it means to be just shall live that's in the book of Galatians as he shows us how to walk in the spirit not in the flesh or in by the law per se and then um, third then, by faith, and of course that tra- that's just right before chapter 11 of Hebrews that we might call the hall of faith. So he kind of goes, the just, that's our first part, shall live, that's the second, by faith, that's the third. We're in the area here of the just. How to get right with God, that's the term here. And he tells us here now that the wrath of God, and for or because, the wrath of God is being revealed, and that's where we start this. Now, the word revealed. Now, apocalypsis. Perhaps you're familiar with it. We have a whole book dedicated to that concept. That's the idea that something that is covered is now getting the cover pulled off. That's the book of Revelation. Apocalypsis. Same word that we see here. The difference is, those of you who have gone through the book of Revelation, you know two things right from the get-go. It is the book of Revelation, not Revelations. There's only one. And it is the revelation of... Jesus Christ. Those are, that's what's the clear, that's the foundation to the book. It's the first words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's God pulling this off and saying, now take a look at my son. Here, what we see is, is that there is this covering, and this covering that's being revealed now is God's wrath. And we are going to now see what God's wrath looks like, and I think you might be a little surprised when it comes out. Interesting. We don't like to think of a God that is wrathful. And to be honest, think about how that affects the church. We love to think of that loving shepherd grabbed his sheep and put him on his shoulders. It's alright, bro. It's okay. I love you. Let's just hug and have a kumbaya moment. 
And, and, and we like that in regards to that moment when we feel weak. Here's the problem. If that's all that Jesus is, he will never lead an army to battle, nor will we follow him. And that's what the church looks like today. is a bunch of mamby-pamby, wimpy, spineless jellyfish that don't want to follow a Jesus that really, to be honest, we don't even see him to have the power that he has. And one of the reasons is, the reason he shows that power is he's a God of wrath too. But He showed that wrath first on our sin. He showed that wrath on our death. And we forget about that. It's a week past Easter now. Or less than a week past Easter. But He's also going to show wrath on enemies. Interesting, here we're going to see a wrath that's actually a wrath that allows you to go to your own destruction. But please understand, the same God who actually looked at the woman who was caught in adultery in the very act and said, has anyone condemned you? She says, no, sir, no one. He says, well, neither do I. Also said, go and sin no more. The same one who actually welcomed welcomed the blind and the lame was the same one who had just cleared three by five times the length of a football field right before that, according to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. This is a God that is not to be mucked with. But He's also a God who loves you. And what makes Jesus so beautiful are these irreconcilable paradigmic things that are, that are paradox, that are like, how could God be this and this? And brilliant people try to shove them together and it would be so much wiser just to go, God never told me to fit these. He told me to believe. And to believe, I can believe both sides because it's bigger than my logic. i got to trust in this. And i got to trust that same God who said, light be, and created the universe with a handful of words, the same one is who gets His voice small enough to be a still small voice for us to hear. Because that same voice breaks the cedars of, of Lebanon. The same one that causes things to, like the mountains to skip like rams and causes the deer to give birth. I'm not sure how that plays out, but I haven't birthed the deer. All I know is that somewhere that voice goes, and the whole world shakes. It's the same one that can speak to my heart without it exploding. Now, how does that happen? I, to be honest, I don't know. But he's never asked me to figure that out. He's only asked me to believe. But understand, when we walk out there and we see people that are toting the I hate God but don't believe Him bumper sticker kind of things, which drives me mental, be on one side or the other. Either say you hate Him and say you believe in Him or say you don't believe in Him but have no effect on it. I don't believe in Santa Claus, but I don't lay awake at night trying to figure out how to get other people not to believe in Him. I don't have booths and websites on IHateSanta.com. On the other side of that, please hear me. Our God is a wrathful God. But let me say this. There are things in which wrath must be inflicted upon. And He tells us that even in Ephesians. Here He tells us, but what's interesting is what God's wrath is being poured out on here. Notice what it says. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed against the wickedness and godlessness of men who suppress the truth in their own ungodliness. God does not say here in this verse that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all men. Or even ungodly men. What he says is that the wrath of God, Jorge, is being revealed, apocalypsis, that's the word to pull the cover off, from heaven against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness. Not of men who suppress the truth in their own ungodliness. God has come prepared for battle. And here's the thing, when God comes prepared for battle, you know He's going to win. 
I guarantee you Ladbrokes would not give you odds for him. Here it is, the battle. And the battle is Jesus versus all ungodliness. The word there, asabaya, it literally means in the simplest sense, irreverence and unrighteousness of men who, interestingly enough, the word there is the word katecho, which literally means to hold down the truth in unrighteousness. There's our thesis statement for the rest of the chapter. The statement is God's about to go to battle of these two things that dwell within a man who's holding down this. Holding down the truth. Now for him to hold down the truth, I get the idea the truth wants to go up. Because you don't hold down something that isn't trying to get up. The, the idea here is that the truth is, a, is going to rise. We're going to see here it's identified as light that wants to rise within you for which men will push down that truth. Because, and by the way, we'll see then Isaiah 54, 8 will kind of play into that. Um, we'll, you can compare that on your own. But it says here in, in the verse 19, because what is may be known about God is manifest in them because God has shown it to them. I'm sorry. Notice here it says, because what may be known of God is manifest. Literally, clearly shining is the term. Faneras. It's apparent. It's obvious. God has shown it. Fanerachos, same word, to them. What may be known about God is shining because God has shown it to them. Well, what is it that could be known about God? Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, which tells us then that every man has had this witness, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Is that a funny statement? Think about that. God's invisible qualities are obviously seeable. And you go, well then, how are they Invisible. Being understood by what has been made. Here's my favorite part of this. It tells us what they are first. His eternal power and Godhood. Or Godhead. So that man is without excuse. It'll be the same term he'll use in chapter 2, verse 1, when he speaks to the Jewish guy. And he says, therefore you are inexcusable or without excuse. It tells us that God has shown this of him. And what it is is two things. The first is that he has eternal power. And the second is that he's God. It's that simple. Now notice it says, For the creation of the world's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by God's own creation. David understood this when he said, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the firmament his handiwork. David understood this when he says, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how magnificent, glorious, or wonderful is your name in all the earth. When I consider the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon and the stars that you have made, I start to wonder, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you give him any attendance at all? 
He looks at the sun and the stars and the moon and the sun that comes out like a bridegroom from his chamber or a strong man ready to run his race. And he looks and he goes, that just reminds me of the Lord. God is this light shining. But I want you to recognize God's wrath is always here in response to what man does. You will see two exchanges and an abandon of man and you will see two exchanges and a release from God. Each of them in response to man. Verse 21. Although they knew God, and by the way, you're probably some of you are familiar that there are two words for know, to know by concept and to know by experience. The word gnosko being by experience, that's the term that is used here. These are not people who just got a concept about God. They've experienced Him. And yet they chose not to glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. And that's where this whole thing starts. God has revealed to them and in them this very testimony. There is a light that is shining. The people are refusing it. And it says, though they knew that, though they experienced God, they had some kind of experiential, some form of experiential experience with God. Yet in that, two things happened. One is they wouldn't give Him glory, which means they didn't give Him credit. And the second is that they wouldn't be thankful. And that's how this whole thing starts. So, I'm going to use an example here just to have a little fun with to kind of help people understand. Bruno, come on up for a second. Why don't you do that? Everyone, we're going to call this guy Bruno so that we don't get this guy in trouble. All right? Here's the idea. It starts with this. God shines his light. This is going to work out really well. He shines his light at Bruno. Now, he does this because he wants Bruno to know that he's God and that he's eternally powerful. Does that make sense? Those are the two things that are clearly seen by what is made. Are you with me so far? Now, with this, what is Bruno doing? What is Bruno doing with this light according to where it started? He's pushing it down. So you go ahead, you put your hands on it because what's happening when you're pushing it down? You don't want people to see that light. You don't want to see that light. Does that make sense so far? Now, according to this, it says, though God has made it clear, hi, I love you, I'm here, I have eternal power, eternal, eternity, and we're talking here, eternity, no beginning, no end. Bruno's going, yeah, 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 talk to the hand. Are you with me on this? Now, although we have this experience, and forgive me for playing the role of God, we're all aware that I don't think I am, and I know you don't think I am. Now, with that, what we read is that Bruno would not give credit since the creation, since the creation, don't miss that, would not give credit, wouldn't give glory, nor was thankful. So now he looks at the very thing. So here's God and he's making stuff for him. Look at the trees and the heavens and the order in the universe. And Bruno looks at all of that and he thinks, wow, what a whole lot of really lucky chances took place to make this happen. Do you get it? That's how this starts. We are not going to give God credit for this. We're not going to give God any glory for this. For the human eye, as brilliant as it is. For the brain and what it does. For the universe and its order. For the fact that He placed us on this earth and the fact that we're breathing and living and not dead at this moment. It's a miracle. Oh, but we don't want to thank God. As a matter of fact, we want to go beyond not thanking God. We're going to go to the point where we're like, I don't even really think He did it. Thank my lucky stars. As if that makes any more sense. Now that's where it starts. Now notice what happens immediately with Bruno. 
Immediately what happens is there happens to be a change in two parts of him. His mind and in his heart. Everything starts to change here. Are you with me on this? And look at what it says in the verse then. It says, as a result of this, it says, but became futile in their thoughts, which means that their thoughts now had no real value to them, and became foolish, and their, their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, what I get out of this, notice this, is that somewhere his heart, what happens to his heart? What does it say happens to his heart here? Futile. Well, what happens to it though? It was darkened. What's the irony behind that? Look at what God is doing. He's shining a light at Bruno, ironically, because Bruno's so busy trying to push this truth down, the heart is getting darker. Did you get that? Is that crazy thought? That his heart would get darker? It's not crazy. It makes sad. It makes perfect sense. And as his heart gets darker, his thinking, Fruno, not Bruno, but Fruno's thinking becomes more and more empty, valueless. And he fills his mind with information that makes no difference to eternity. It may make a difference for the moment, but from a perspective of the eternal God who said, I love you, I'm here, I have eternal power, all of that information doesn't in any way Render any form of connection with it. Now all of a sudden, he has memorized every Adam Sandler movie. Now at this point, he could quote every line from, from three or four, like, geez, from 50 cent. And you know, and it's like, and he, and oh, it doesn't matter whether it's filthy or not, he's gonna quote it, because he knows that. His mind's full of that, but when you say, Bruno, you need some scripture, he's like, I can't memorize scripture. I don't have the power to do that. My brain's not that sharp. And all of a sudden, his brain is chock full of information that if he were to stand before eternity today, and God were to look and say, let's just pick through what percentage of this has, we're going to have to throw this whole thing away. There's nothing in there that retains any part of this at this point except a brief memory of this moment when God said, Hi, I love you, I'm here. Because that's still in here somewhere, but it's getting pushed farther and farther and farther back. Does that make sense? Now listen, in this it says, professing to be wise. Now look it, it went from his heart and his head to his mouth. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here, what's happening to his heart? It's getting darker. What's happening to his brain? It's becoming more and more worthless, the information it contains. And with that, then at that point, his mouth says, I'm brilliant. Professing to be wise. Pick your terms. But in professing to be wise, he's becoming stupider by the moment. More and more foolish. Did you get it? The sad part is, if I were to look from here, the only part I can see or experience from the outside is the part where he says, I'm brilliant. I can't see his heart getting darker. I can't see how hard he's pushing this down. I can't see what's happening in his head right now. All I can do is experience what he's saying. So though a man looks at the outer side, and if he says it the right way, we might believe him. I've been at school for 40 years. 
Well, I knew a kid who flunked three years too. He was in school more years than he should have been too. Now, you know, I have all these letters to my name. Great! I have people who listen to me. I'm on circuit. I have my own books and people love to hear about how I tell them God is stupid and doesn't exist. You can't put those two together, but they do. People love me. You go, yeah, but God says your heart is darkened and everything that's in your mind now is worthless in the sight of eternity. I don't care how brilliant the atheist is, the moment he stands before God, there's no way he's going to be able to say, I didn't have any evidence. Because this started, can I remind you, by saying man is without excuse. Do you know what that means? That means no human being on the planet has a legitimate reason to call themselves a victim. You could say, well, what about the person in China that's never heard about Jesus? What about, you know what, go find them and tell them. Because the more that I try to find people that haven't heard about Jesus, the more I hear about people who have heard about Jesus. And in the places where it's like, well, we don't even send evangelists there. Well, it's like God meets them in the road. God's like, look, there's no person that's going to play the, the card on me. Oh, I'm a victim. You don't understand. I couldn't believe in you because you were too proud. I know better. God knows what He's doing. Now look at verse, verse 23. The result? They changed that glory. Remember how they refused to give God glory? They refuse to give God credit for the hello, I love you. Now they're instead, they're going to have to go and give that glory somewhere. So can you just say, number one, change the glory. Try it. Number one, change the glory. Because I'll ask you in a minute here. Number one, they changed the glory. Remember, the simple word for glory, the simple idea of that is just where you're giving credit to. They're not where you choose to shine the spotlights. When you say, who did it? And it's chance. God says they changed the image of an incorruptible God. You get the idea of that. He never corrupts. He never decays. He never erodes into the image of a made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So stage one, we traded the immortal and the eternal for the tangible and the temporary. That's how it starts. And you go, you know what, but I don't know if I can see this God here. Well, of course you can't see this God, because at this point, your brain is thought of full of chock full of empty nothingness. And it's, it's, it's sort of like your brain is full of Susie cakes, you know? It's like, all it's like, but there's no real food up there, but your stomach's full. And then here, his heart is dark. And if your heart is dark, how are you really going to see the light of the world? It's like a veil is over his eyes. But he professes to be wise. God says, but no matter how much he says it, he became foolish. And so he trades this glory. Get this. Trading the glory. That's that light, right? That's the idea. He traded the glory of an eternal God. Something shiny in it, but he's got to get something here. So he traded it for another glory. But this glory doesn't work anymore. Because this glory is fading. It's heavier. It's more burdensome. You can't really, but here's the problem. It doesn't shine. Now, if the enemy's behind this, there was a time, according to Isaiah 11 and Ezekiel 28, this guy shone a lot, but he got unplugged the moment he tried to actually be his own power source. 
And he said, hey, 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 I'll do this now. And no wonder why he masquerades as an angel of light. Because that's what he used to be to some degree. He used to emanate that. But the moment he tried to take God's job, you know there was trouble. And as a result of that, now he says, hey, 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 you don't need a real light. This is good enough. It's got a lamp in it. Look, a lamp. But it isn't plugged into anything. But he traded it in. And now look at him. He's got a light. It's just not working. Because he traded the glory. Did you get it? And they're like, let me tell you, I feel, and this is what he'll say, because this is some of those smart things to say, I feel so enlightened. But you've just become burdened with a light that doesn't work, is what you've become. Because the light, the one that spoke light out of darkness, is now no longer the thing in your scope. Are you getting it? Now listen, as a result of this, Here's the first of three actions which God does. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up. Now understand, it doesn't say God pushed them, God beat them, God hit them, God smacked them. He gave them up. Do you know what that means? Let me put it in its simplest sense. Bruno wants to run to his destruction because his brain's full of... I'm sorry, Bruno, because his brain's full of emptiness. His heart's full of darkness at this point. He's got the false light, and he wants to run that way. And God's doing this. So go ahead and push that way. And he's, he's doing... God's doing this. And he's going, no, you don't want this. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. And he says, no, 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 leave me alone. And God goes, okay. And he gets a couple of steps, and God catches him again. You get that? So Bruno's pushed. Fruno. Fruno's pushed. And as Bruno's, Bruno's pushed, God is holding him back. And he's going, you know what? And you know what happens at this moment? You're like, oh, come on. I wanted to go to that party and I got a flat tire. I wanted to go to that party and they canceled every bit of public transportation around me. That girl was giving me a second look and then all of a sudden she got arrested. And I knew she was digging my chili. I mean, it's amazing how at those moments, and you get angry. You get angry at God because at that moment, remember, we don't want to believe in Him, but at a moment like that, we're angry at Him because He's he's cramping our style and He's robbing us of our fun and He's keeping us from the things we want to do. And we're like, oh, God, come on! The only accident that I'd ever been in before I got T-boned was when I was like 16 and there was this gal and I'd lied about my age and this gal was much older and I was going to go over to her house and I just knew I had nothing good on my mind. I had no concept of Jesus. Please understand. She even gave me her car. She said, you can come over. I'll be there by myself. And so there I was at my house and I pulled out. I did not get out of the driveway. Half of the car was out of the driveway. And bam! I get hit by someone. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And there is God doing this. Tony, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. And I'm like, oh, come on. It's just a little. It's just a little. Why am I saying it's just a little? Because my heart is dark. And because it's darkened, I can't see things clearly. So the first act of God's wrath, He actually lets you go a little bit. And then He catches you and He says, that's enough. What happens in between that? Remember, in the beginning, what did they trade? What was the first thing they traded with God? His glory. That's what he got there. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness. They traded glory. God gave them uncleanness. And the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. 
That's how this thing starts. Now, what does that look like? Here's the problem. When God speaks about things that are undefiled, do you know what he speaks about? Can I just say it? According to Hebrews, it says that it's the wedding bed. He says the wedding bed is to be undefiled. Can I say that's one of the first areas the enemy goes after? Is, the, is, is what real, honest, genuine marriage looks like and real commitment and the physical relationship should, that, that should be on the other side of that? Even in this country, we just live together. Who needs that? God demanded it. You could try to make up your own rules, but God said this is the way it works. It's a commitment that should produce time, that produces intimacy. That should never be reversed. If I could get intimate, maybe I'll get a commitment. God says that is not the way it plays. But that's the way the world plays it. And I can tell you, we could say that till we're blue in the face and people look and go, yes, Pastor Tony, I know that's the way it is, but shine you, let's do it a different way. And it never works out right because it's not right. And that which isn't right doesn't turn out right. It's that simple. And God says, look it, you have lusts in your heart and all a lust is is an appetite that makes you want to order off of God's menu. Not on God's menu. God says, that appetite I give you, here is the right menu for it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the enemy goes, I've got a bigger menu. And you're like, ooh, that looks good. I'll try that. Well, what is it? Well, let's just dishonor our bodies. Funny, when two married people are together, and I don't want to get, you get the idea. When two married people are together, there's no dishonor there. No dishonor. Nor shame. But if I could tell you after 20 years of dealing with people in marriage counseling, how many of them still can't have a healthy relationship with each other physically because of the way that they treated each other before they were married. Because they dishonored each other. And because they dishonored each other, they can't seem to get past it. And how the whole world around them says, yeah, but it's okay. Well, we're Christians, but come on, you're, you're, it's close enough. You're engaged. Isn't that enough? And God says, look it. This is what man wants to run to. And all it is is, listen, God says, here's the line. And you're like, yeah, but can I just go here? I'm not really that far out there. I'm just kind of feet on it. You know, it's the yellow line and the train's coming. And you're like, ha, 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 I'm not going to get hurt. Ha, 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 You know, and then the train comes. The problem is, one hurts enough. Now, please hear me. This is the first of three steps. They traded the glory and they got uncleanness. That's how this works. Please understand something. The church that wants to go after a lot of other sexual sins needs to start to deal with what it really means to have a proper marriage and get to the point where it's all or nothing. We don't play, that's a really bad sexual sin, but that one's an okay sexual sin. If it's a sexual sin, it's bad. That's just it. And people go, well, I feel isolated because I have this desire, I have this desire. Look at if the church will not stand up for proper marriage, then it shouldn't stand up for anything that way. But I'd say it should stand up for what God defines everything to be. But if the God says He created something in a day, I'm going to believe He said a day because He meant a day. And they'll go, well, a day's like a thousand years. It's funny, I don't hear anyone talking about the millennial reign like, well, that's probably just a day. Please hear me. God never intended this for you. He doesn't want it for you, and it's your choice. You're the one doing the trading here. 
God never said, by the way, so he ripped out the light and he said, you're just stuck with that. This it says, look, men exchanged that. So he gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their heart, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Look at verse 25, second exchange. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The first one was they exchanged what? The glory. Now they exchanged the truth. Now all of a sudden, they got, it got worse. Because what God did is He wanted to give you freedom through His Word, but now you don't have freedom through the Word because now you've actually got the truth of no, no truth. Now what happens when you actually don't have God's truth? You start to blindfold yourself because now... Now he looks like a terrorist. It's awesome. Bruno, not Bruno. Bruno's cool, but Bruno's a terrorist. So now listen. Now all of a sudden, that truth that he used to have in God, the truth that made things so clear... Black is black, white is white, wrong is wrong, right is right. Now he kind of looks and goes, everything's kind of a little blurry. And that's okay. Because, you know, it's okay. As long as you, you know, as long as it's okay for you, that's okay. I I love to go, I think it should be okay to, to beat people up. Is that okay with you? Well, it's not okay with me. But that's okay because you said as long as it's okay with me. Can I hit you now? They're like, no, 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 that affects me. But see, you are already, but you're, you're actually you're barging into my reality now, man. You said whatever I thought was cool is cool. I think it's cool to hit you. You're like, no, 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 it affects. All sin affects people, friends. And they exchanged the glory of God, and then they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And notice it says, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. So stage two, we trade the truth in to give homage to the handiwork instead from acclaim to adoration. We started by giving other things the credit and now we're giving it the credence. And we went from going, well, okay, it's chance and now we're going to worship it. And I can tell you, I'll be honest, people worship evolution, whether you like it or not. People worship Mother Earth. And the same people that have had to cancel the last three global warming conferences because of snow want to tell me that now the reason it's so cold is because things are melting. Anyways, my whole point is this, is that if they want to be that full-on about it, they can be that full-on about it. Are we as full-on about what is actually absolutely the truth? Because if we're not, it'll assume we're actually giving them applause. Have you ever heard the term silence is complicity? What that means is to be silent makes it look like you approve it. So what happens as a result of this now? Now this poor blind man that once had the light of God, but he was pushing it down, that was shining in his heart, now has a darkened heart, has has a mind full of empty things, and now has this weight on him that doesn't give him any light, and he's blinding himself with a lie but he still has this passion to do wrong. Verse 26 says, second time God responds, therefore God gave them up. What does that mean? It's the same term as the last time. Bruno wanted, Bruno wanted to get out there, but now look at how crazy it is. He's blinded. His heart is darkened. His mind is full of chock full of ridiculous things, and he still wants to go forward. And if you don't think that that happens, read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, an angel shows up at his house, and the guys are like, hey, we want to go have sex with that guy. And then the, the angel blinds them. And you know what happens when they get blinded? They're still trying to beat down the door. So tell me what blindness, tell me that blindness stops you. 
At that point, could you even know? The entire group is blinded, and they're still pounding at the door. And all that to tell you, you can be that blind, and it doesn't take away your desires. It only gets worse. So what does it say happens? God gave them up now to vile passions. In other words, things that you'd be ashamed of. For even women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, men leaving the natural use of women burned in lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error that was due. Please hear me. Inevitably, we we go right to, well, there there it is. You know, homosexuality is just clearly stage two of God's wrath. No, it's not. All it is is another untempered lust. It's just that simple. The idea of it is, listen, and can I just put in this, because God uses words like vile and unnatural. Now, I'm not trying to, listen, unnatural because anatomically it's just incorrect. You look and just go, these are not interlocking parts. But it's more than that. Follow me on this. God is keeping Fruno from going back to his destruction. Fruno goes, no, 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 no. I'm trading in all of your credit. All, and I'm not going to be thankful. Let me go. I've got desires you can't fill, God. And so he goes, all right. You're going to see how bad it is. And he gets to this point, And at this point, he's trading in now not just the glory, but the truth of God for a lie. And at this point, he's going, I have more passions. Here's the problem with a passion. Is that unless it's given to God, it never gets satiated. It only gets worse. That's the problem. And it's like, it doesn't matter what it is. And, and, you know, you talk to people that are just like, you know, I just, I felt like I was going to go crazy unless I left my wife. I thought I was going to go crazy unless I left my husband. I thought, it, but I had this passion inside of me and I just had to fulfill that passion. But you get that, they get it and it's not enough. And then they need more. And as you get crazier, deeper, wilder, the next level and the next level. Because the problem is untempered passion, untempered passion like this that is off of God's menu only rolls downhill and it doesn't stop. So now all of a sudden it's like, well, what else is there? Then someone will say, well, I was born with this passion. Can I say, listen, we are all born sinners. And until we recognize the fact that God needs to do more than redecorate us, but rather reinvent us, Don't tell me, well, if you're a homosexual, the moment you start liking women, you'll be fine. Because sexual sin is a blanket problem. The cure for that is to be holy with the Lord. To be whole with the Lord. Because we don't want to look at a man running off with a girl and having premarital sex and think that that's any better than a person who's over here disobeying him with another man. Now, in both cases, you'd say, well, today the difference is it's a little socially unacceptable, but that's not going to be that way for long. In the end of it all, the church just can't look and go, see you guys. And be, you know what that is? That's cowardice because the rest of society thinks it's a little weird. So they're going to jump on that and say, yeah, 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 yeah. But they're not the one leading anything. The church is supposed to be the influencer, not the follower. 
But you know, the, the, the world has a right to say, oh yeah, well what about that over there? And we're going, yeah, yeah, but at least it's heterosexual. And you go, no, that doesn't work. Because it's still sin. And the bottom line is, we should stand and say, God, I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin on any level. Whatever it is. I don't want it to be internet porn. I don't want it to be a thought in my heart. I don't want it to be a woman or a man or whatever it is. I don't want any of it. I want to crave you like I used to lust after my sin. I don't want to look like this. And this is not even the full extent of God's wrath. And at this point, and can I just say it in the simplest sense, because God uses words like vile and unnatural, you get the point that Bruno now is at a point where he's doing things he didn't thought, he didn't think he would ever do before. Have you ever been there? Where all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, I can't believe I'm doing this. I never thought I'd ever go this far. Because a vile passion doesn't have to be simply homosexuality. The moment you stick a needle in your arm to get high, nobody thinks, that'll be cool. Everyone that I've spoken to says the same thing. I can't believe it. The first time I was like, I can't believe I ever got this far with it. The moment you're actually at a point where you're pounding somebody and they're, they're unconscious and you're still hitting them, you go, I, I can't believe it's gotten this far. And I'm still not satisfied because it's rolling downhill faster than I can actually stay on top of it. It is rolling on me now downhill. And it doesn't matter what it is. You get to that point where now you're going, because you're so blinded, there's that check inside your heart. Even in this darkness, there's a voice in here that says, hey, this is weird. This is not right. And you go, yeah, but I can't believe I'm doing this. But every time you do it, it gets a little easier. Because I can't believe I'm doing this doesn't sound right the second time when you've already done it. So what happens? Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. That's the problem now. Here's our final exchange. What was the first trade for man? His glory. What was the second trade? His truth. The third one is his remembrance. See, by this point it says at this point they didn't even feel right to even retain the thought of God. What does that mean? Because at this point in Fruno's life, all God is is a memory of a moment when God said, here I am. I love you and I'm eternal. And it's just you and me. It's just you and me. That's it. And you stuck stuff in the way. You called some of it Christian. You blamed other people. You got caught up in some systems you built yourself. And then in all of it all, you started trading and giving credit to other things. And in that, you traded and you gave the glory that belonged to God to a person, to a thing, to a movement, to a name, to a title, to whatever it is. And all of a sudden, you got this fake light in your hands now. And then you're like, yeah, but then you're like, this is getting worse. And you know things are wrong, but you're still stepping into them. And there's a part of you that thinks, I'm going to go crazy if I keep doing it so i gotta numb myself and so you numb yourself and when you do is you blindfold yourself with that now you're like it's not such a big deal anymore but the problem is by the time you're done this has ceased to get here and you know where it's gone at this point it's gone here that's where it's gone 
And this is what we're dealing with now, aren't we? Don't worry, I won't pull. Listen, because this is where it gets roughest. Even though they chose, they didn't like to retain any concept or remembrance of God and their knowledge. That's the idea of retaining, right? Think of what retaining means, holding in. God gave them over. Now look at how that's different from the other two times. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them over. This was the first time, no, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. No, 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 let me go, let me go, let me go. Okay, is this enough? Have you disgusted yourself enough? Have you hate yourself enough yet? Will this cause you to turn? This is the road to brokenness, friends. And in that now, he's like, no, 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 let me go. And, he calls it. and one more time, he's like, how about now? Now I know you're disgusted. You're in a place where you never thought you would be. Is this bad enough? And you're like, no, I don't even want to think about you anymore. I don't want you in my mind. I don't want you in my heart. I don't even want to remember it of you anymore. And God goes, okay. And that's God's wrath here. Why doesn't God just beat you if that's his wrath? Why does he need to? You're doing it yourself. And all of a sudden, that mind that used to be full of God's scripture that mind that knew that there was a God who loved him and wanted him. Now I was so confused, they don't even know how to get out. And that heart that used to know things so clearly and wasn't driven by emotion and feelings, but rather God actually dominated this, now has been leading. If Jesus really is the head of the church, beloved, listen to the danger here, is that I'm not just talking about unbelievers at this moment. I'm talking about us. Of the five senses that exist on you, how many of them exist on your head? Sight, hearing, smell, taste, and feeling. How many of them exist on your head? All of them. How many of them exist below your neck? Which one? Your feelings. Can I just say, if Christ is the head of the church, the moment you decapitate Christ from being the head of the church, the only guidance you have is your feelings. Your sight will guide you. Your hearing will guide you. In some cases, your taste will guide you. But when you cut Christ off and you're like, I don't want you to be the head. I want to be the head now. Well, the only thing left to guide you is your feelings. And when that happens, that heart gets darker. And that mind gets full. It isn't like it's empty. It's just full of empty things. And the light that you used to talk about where things got so clear, it's a burden now. So how does this thing end on this chapter? Listen to this. Being filled with all unrighteousness. It says, by the way, God gave them over to a debased mind. The first time God gave them over to uncleanness and went from uncleanness to vile passions and from vile passions to a debased mind. To do the things which aren't fitting. Now, look at the first two words of verse 29. Being filled. There's your problem. You're filled with it. With what? All unrighteousness. Isn't that what God's pouring His wrath out on in the beginning of this? Sexual immorality, that's both sides. Wickedness, covetousness, 
That means you want one, want more. You've got to have more. By the way, do you know that was a sin? Maliciousness, thinking evil of other people and desiring evil on other people. Full of envy. You get the idea of being jealous, wishing you had what other people had. Murder, which Jesus will even lift the bar to say, even if you have bitterness in your heart towards someone. Strife. The idea of selfish ambition. Always trying to make it so that you can get what you want. Deceit. That's lies. Evil-mindedness. The idea of thinking towards harm. Whispers. That's rumor starters. Gossips. Backbiters. That's people who try to say things bad against others. Haters of God. Violent. That's the one for me along with others. Proud. Can I just say this about pride? Pride is not thinking high of yourself. It's just thinking lots of yourself. The idea of the difference between pride and humility is not how highly you think of yourself. It's how often God gives you a spotlight and He says, okay, now, Marcia, I'd like you to be humble. And Marcia goes and she says, well, you know, I think I know what humility is. So Marcia... God gives her this, and he says, here you go, Marcia. And Marcia says, okay, I'm just a miserable worm. I'm just nothing. Come on, Sam, better. Oh, I'm not that pretty. Sam, pretty. I'm not, you know, I get the idea. Come on, I'm just not so good. And, and Rodrigue, being a soft shoulder, will say, no, it's okay. You're pretty. You're nice and all that. And she goes, so I'm so humble, right? Okay. The problem is, look at where the spotlight's still shining. Real humility is when the spotlight gets off of you. It gets on him. It gets on you. That's different. But if I kind of walk in and I'm like, hey, how can I serve you? Check me out. How can I, I serve you? I'm going to serve you. <laughs> you. You're taking this, right? And God's like, you're getting all the reward you could get right now. Check me out. It's interesting because I could also go, hey, how can I serve you? Here's the difference. The moment I say, how could I serve you like this? I already have a limit of what I can do and can't do. And I already have in my mind what I think could be kind of fun and actually get most bang for a buck. And you know Rodriguez is going to come up with something else. And he's going to go, I was thinking this. And you're like, no, I wasn't really thinking that. I was thinking we should go out for tea and you should pay for it. And I'm going to spend some time with you. Right? Oh, that's sweet. Right? Look where you know where the spotlight is. Versus how can I serve you? And he's like, well, I've got this issue and I'm going to listen now because he's got the spotlight. I should listen. Does that make sense? So when God talks about proud people, we all can be gloriously not humble, looking humble, very proud people. And it's in here. Boasters. If pride was just thinking really high of yourself, he could have just used those two words as one thing, right? Inventors of evil things. Disobedient to parents. Wow, that's on the list? Do you know why that seems so weird? Because everybody does it. It's like this is a culture of disobedience to parents. And part of it, let's say, well, part of it is Parents need to grow up too. We used to joke about it when we used to teach secondary school. We'd say, you know, about 5% of the time you want to spank the kid. 95% of the time you want to spank the parent. But in it, it's like, but that doesn't, look at if they, if they give a command, unless it's to sin, you're supposed to obey, especially if you're living in their house. Undiscerning, which means they can't tell a good thing from a bad. By the way, I'll give you another word for undiscerning. Tolerant. It's the same. 
Undiscerning means you can't tell a good thing from a bad thing. The idea of some people's tolerance is that very same thing. Don't tell me what I'm doing is bad. I'm going to tell you if it's sin, it's bad. But that's because I'm actually, but I'm willing to hold that same thing to me too. If it's bad, it's bad. If you are actually super tolerant on everything and you're actually not discerning, don't ever make me cookies. You know, bleach, flour, what's the difference? They're white powders. Be discerning. Untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. And it ends with this, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things deserve death, they know innately that this, is, this deserves full punishment. But they not only do the same, but they approve of those who practice it. Which means now it's become our society. The society that approves those practices, political correctness. If you heard the term, you need to be politically correct. Well, let me ask you, who's politic? Somebody sets the rules of what's acceptable and what's not. I want to be politically correct in God's economy. But I've learned you can't be politically correct connect connect. Hello. You can't be politically correct on earth and be politically correct in heaven. You're going to have to choose which one you want to be politically correct with. Because the moment you shy away from Jesus, that's a really big political no-no in heaven. The moment you seek the glory yourself, big no-no in heaven. So tolerance now being good and being pure is not tolerated. It's awkward. And people make bad terms like, oh, you're religious. I'm so sorry for you. You're a goody-goody little purity person. Don't preach at me. I'm going to preach. And here it is. Jesus, if it says it's good, it's good. And Isaiah said, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. It's that simple. That which now is that God venerates, is not only not tolerated, but it's awkward, it's outcast, it's unpopular, it's unfashionable, it's mockable and contemptible and considered wrong. And you know what? One day we're all going to stand before God and that's the one place where I want to make sure I'm right. And as we go to prayer, beloved, please hear me. If you're in this spot today, and, and, and you know what? Anyone want to be at any part of this? Anyone of you even want to be at the part where you're feeling God's hand saying, please don't? Well, how do I get right with this? Well, come clean. You can swap it back in one moment. You hand it over to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're Lord, and you're going to have to take this stuff over and away. Listen, it says if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us, and we know he hears us, we know we have it. And people, of course, have taken that in such crazy directions, we're afraid to ask anything. Do you really think it's God's will that you would be perfectly right with him? Do you think God's like, nah, it's sort of my will. I kind of was hoping you'd be half right with me. I can't see God thinking that way. And if it's God's will that you would be absolutely 100% right with him, and you ask him, and God says, if you ask according to my will, you know you have it. Can you expect that he'll make it? He'll make it happen? But what if that means God has to do some crazy changes? Listen, God will make the changes for which then you'll have to make the choices. That's the way it works. You'll say, God, well, then you need to change. And all of a sudden, you're like, but I'm in this relationship and it's not really good, but please don't break it. And God's like, I'm going to break it because it's not good. And you're like, ah, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, you know what? How about if you just 
make it easy and give me the desire to not be in it. Now I'm, ta- now I'm talking about a marriage. It's friends, it's the wrong thing and you know it. In a marriage, you've, n- you've not put them in the right place and you've not put yourself in the right place and the spotlight's on you and you think you're being a martyr and you're waiting for the applause for it and God's like, hey, 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 this needs to be rebuilt right now and you need to hand it to me. It doesn't matter what it is, beloved, in the end of it all. Did you notice what happened is God says, here I am, I love you, I'm eternal. And you said, no, not thanks, I'm going for this. That's the ultimate sin for which God says, no, you don't. And you start on that road. He's like, no, you don't. What would happen if, well, if I turned around and went towards him? Well, you know what that word is, right? Repent. That's what the word is. Metanecho. It literally means to change your mind. It means to turn around and go back. So can I just say, as your friend, repent tonight. Unless you're running at Jesus, repent. Unless you're charging for Jesus, repent. (coughs) He died on a cross to pay for all our sins. He conquered the grave. He crushed Satan. He destroyed the destroyer. He's not to be mucked with. He's a mighty man of war, is what Scripture says. As we go to prayer tonight, my prayer is we could honestly say, I surrender all. We could honestly say that. We could honestly say that. And even if it's something we don't want to surrender, we give God permission to search and seize it. Take a moment and we're going to pray, please. Go ahead, Bruno. Bruno, be seated. Lord God, I pray tonight for every one of us, myself included. God, I really don't want to be playing with you somehow, kind of cashing in on some cheap grace, Lord, and somehow assuming me running to my own destruction is something you would applaud or even tolerate. Lord, I know that, that Lord, it would be a rough thing to say you're intolerant, but you are the same way that a doctor should be intolerant of cancer because it destroys us. And the only things that you hate are things that destroy us, that destroy our walk and our relationship with you, God. And I don't want even to feel your hands on my chest saying no, not because I don't want to feel your hands, but I want to feel them around me, holding me, because I'm actually facing you and saying, oh, my Lord and my God. And while your wrath is being revealed against the wickedness and godlessness of men who suppress the truth, I don't want to suppress the truth. And I don't want to trade your glory. And I don't want to trade your truth. God, that's not where I want. I don't want to, I want to try to wipe out your memory. I want your mind to, I want my mind to be filled, Lord, with your scripture and your goodness and, and the memories of these moments of your great and glorious power. I want my heart to be filled with hope. And you even call it the light of hope. God, there, there would be this hope inside of me that would be broad spectrum and I'd be able to see things clearly by your truth. And I'd be soft and tender to you like you desire. Jesus, I know you died on the cross for me. I know you rose again, literally died, literally rose. And I proclaim you as my king for that. But if I'm going to proclaim you as my king, then you have every right to demand from me Whatever you have, whatever you want, if you're my king. 
And I don't want to pretend somehow that my, my feigned surrender at convenient moments while I'm shining the light on me is somehow applaudable to you. I want to be real with you. So God, right now I pray for every person in this room, myself included, that whatever needs to be removed, whatever needs to be reshaped, whatever needs to be redefined, whatever needs to be reprioritized, God, we give you the right to step in and do whatever is necessary so that we could be completely yours. Because this started with you revealing yourself so that we are without excuse. Lord, in a world that is constantly looking for an excuse so that they could be somehow feel unresponsible for the things that they're responsible for, I don't want to follow the world. I want to be real and honest. And so, Lord, I pray right now that in an act of surrender to You, Lord, that You would restore and refill, rejuvenate, Lord, so that we could find ourselves tonight Truly in that place where we could say, Lord, you're everything. So we confess you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. And we say tonight, Lord, have us completely in your name. Amen.